I'll talk to you later. I love you. I miss you. I love you very much. Good morning, afternoon, or evening. Welcome to the Sarah Ald Show. 1067 FM, The Big Talker. I'm your host, Sarah Ald. You are listening to the Sarah Ald Show. Great Friday, everybody. We have quite the lineup for you tonight. Uh, Our local and national news are one and the same as they have been. We'll be talking about professional athletes coming out of Wilmington, highlighting the great athletic facilities that they train in and come from, and the uh, trainers and, and fitness center owners behind those doors. We will also, of course, highlight those athletes then we've got management moment of the week a story and a lesson from me to you all talking about being coachable from there we will go to crazy talk we'll talk a little bit more about government assistance and reflect on what we talked about last week uh, helping with government assistance how to improve it and then I also have a side idea for everybody this week that has nothing to do with government anything. Just an idea for bars out there uh, looking to stay alive in today's day and age. And an idea that a friend gave me, actually. It wasn't even really... I guess, I guess we thought of it together, but either way, after that we have young old people and old young people. We'll tell you those guests when we get to them. They're going to be a surprise. Okay, right here around 6 p.m. Friday night. Opening up with our local national news, one and the same, we had Ryan Jeffers uh, go to the Minnesota Twins, a graduate of UNCW here in Wilmington. So we have an MLB player coming right out of Wilmington, North Carolina. I'm not sure that that's incredibly hard to believe because Wilmington just pumps out these athletes. We've got the Wilmington Sharks here, which have folks going pro. We have UNCW pumping out pro athletes. We've got places like Port. City Sports Performance, Hudson Rose Athletics, and all these great fitness centers that are training people to be the absolute best, and of course, without limits, and they're runners setting records nationally. The list goes on and on. So Ryan Jeffers uh, recruited and drafted to the Minnesota Twins. And then we have special guests joining us tonight. We have the owner of Port City Sports Performance, Jeremy Lewis, as well as MMA professional athlete, professional fighter, John Salter. So Jeremy Lewis comes to us as a graduate from Ohio, uh, from Wilmington College, where he wrestled and played soccer. He played soccer all four years on a nationally ranked team, made it to the national tournament three out of four of his years there, and senior year made it to the Elite Eight. Uh, That team that he played on, Jeremy Lewis, is still still recognized as one of the best teams to have ever played at Wilmington College in Ohio. Jeremy graduated with a sports management degree and marketing concentration and started working for the Dayton Dragons professional baseball team while coaching wrestling. Long history of athletics here, guys. He moved almost 20 years ago with the opportunity to coach and work for the Hammerheads here in Wilmington. Uh, He eventually made his way into education teaching, marketing while coaching. Uh, He's also coached many top-tiered wrestlers in the area. Some of the best have come out and teach at the collegiate stage. So while coaching, he created Port City Sports Performance. Jeremy Lewis, the creator and owner, current owner of Port City Sports Performance here in Wilmington. And his goal is to better athletes and all area athletes. So over time, they grew that brand into an all-around fitness center. 
and they do consider themselves a one-stop strength shop. So they're bettering many members of our community, young and old, and to this day, uh, they still produce many of the great collegiate and professional elite athletes you see coming here out of Wilmington. For instance, in the last week, we've had John Salter with a win over... Andrew Kappel. Then we have Joe Selecki, who beat Hubbard uh, immediately after. And now we have Jamie Pickett out with the win. So three wrestlers in a row uh, in the last week, or I'm sorry, fighters in the last week, who are absolutely dominating uh, dominating their sport. And they all train with Port City Sports Performance to a certain capacity. And we have Jeremy Lewis joining us right now. Jeremy, how are you doing today? Good. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. So, Jeremy, I want to talk to you all about Port City Sports Performance, and you guys have had a huge last week for your athletes working in that uh, facility, of course. So, A, congratulations to you for that. Um, and, and first opening question, what led you to open Port City, and why does it serve the demographic it serves? Uh, you know, first, thank you. Thank you uh, for having us. And then, uh, but also thank you for the congratulations. Yeah, it was, a, it was a big week. So, you know, I, I think the, uh, there was a time when Coach Pence, uh, Coach Willis, and I were all training our athletes. Um, we were all uh, high school teachers, all mm-hmm. wrestling coaches, uh, all just trying to, to get our, our kids, uh, you know, above the grade. Uh, so they can meet their goals. Uh, so we're actually working out in Coach Pence's backyard in his garage. Um, then next thing you know, word got around uh, this hardcore kind of garage-style training, this mentality. Uh, next thing you know, we had some softball athletes, some baseball athletes, some football athletes, yeah. um, you know. And so many, kind of, so many of those guys are on the walls there now, right? Absolutely. Yeah, we try to represent uh, all, all of our uh, big-time athletes, the ones that have either gone uh, gone collegiate, gone pro. Uh, we try to represent them in a lot of different ways, uh, whether that's college T-shirts on the wall, whether that's the, the wall of fame or even uh, the professional banners hanging up. Mm-hmm. It's such a neat place. I love going in there. It's so cool. You feel like you are in your own little, like, Wilmington Hall of Fame in Port City Sports Performance. It's very neat. You guys also offer a kids camp. Talk about the youth focus that you guys have there. Yeah, so there's a bunch of different, uh, you know, camps all along. We've, we've tried to create, uh, you know, since our careers are based around, uh, you know, student athletes and, and, you know, teaching and coaching, um, you know, we've had youth wrestling, we've had youth development clinics, speed development, uh, youth football camps, day camps, after school camps. Um, you know, everything we can to try to better our athletes, uh, young athletes, mentally and physically. So even right now in this current state of uh, COVID, um, you know, we're still trying to, uh, you know, kind of give back and make sure. And this is actually our, our youth camp right now is really for the parents. Uh, you know, we have a certified teacher on staff uh, that, in, that uh, provides uh, small group instruction so kids can get their, their work done but also get that physical education, you know, and that physical exercise that they need throughout the day to burn off some energy and and Mm -hmm. stay physically fit. That's wonderful. That's really obviously, you know, something people need right now, especially. Um, I saw that you guys had posted about that the other day, and I wanted to make sure you, of course, got a chance to advertise that here. So the Port City relationship. No, really quick, actually, backtrack. I would love to 
boast about how different and unique the inside of Port City is, Jeremy. Can you? Now, I know it's a mat room, free weights, there's a turf area, all kinds of things, but can you really describe the layout so people can understand, you know, who your gym is ideal for besides just the student athlete? Yeah, I think I think from the minute you walk in the front door, we're trying to uh, show you that it is a different place to it be. It is. It's so uh, it unique. A, yeah, that it's a mentality. You know, you walk in, we have some of our uh, uh, Wall of Fame uh, uh, posters up, banners up, or not banners, but yeah, posters up on mm-hmm. uh, on the wall. We have quotes leading you down the hallway into the mat room. Uh, then you walk in, you have this great uh you know, this uh, amazing looking mat room for our youth uh, program, Port City Pirates uh, youth wrestling program, which is actually one of the biggest and best in the state, not to mention the Salty Dog Jiu-Jitsu program uh, who continuously wins, you know, tournaments. Uh, They just pulled one out this weekend at Myrtle Beach, uh, you know, with Mm -hmm. Coach John Salter uh, leading that way. But then you walk through the mat room, you know, you've got bags hanging up, uh, for the fighters, uh, for the guys that are competing and training in MMA. Uh, and then you walk to this big double door that has another quote. Uh, and it's basically along the lines of, uh, you know, are you prepared to kind of uh, do what it takes uh, once you enter these doors uh, to meet your goals? And the minute you walk in, it's this big open room uh, full of uh your arena (laughs) yeah an arena yeah essentially you know people like-minded people all trying to uh accomplish the same thing and that's Mm -hmm. to meet their goals you know whether it's the like-minded the the athlete or even the like-minded uh general fitness client that just likes being in that realm Mm -hmm. uh and being pushed uh you know next to watching these professional or collegiate or even you know high school athletes so it's it's really neat to see yeah it's a different energy level and to be really frank with all the listeners out there it truly reminds me of being in college playing collegiate soccer which i know jeremy you can relate now my team at manhattanville college in new york we had to line up all the way back in the locker room silently walk out of the locker room through the athletics department outside to the top of the staircase of our soccer field of our little stadium we had there at this tiny little private school silently all the way to the field and then your field awaits and the music starts and truly walking through port city from the very entrance reminds me of walking out of that locker room and down a path and into the big open here's where you do your job absolutely you know get your mind right and then get ready to uh, leave it all out in the field, right? It really does. And you mentioned Salty Dog Jiu-Jitsu. So, Jeremy, tell the listeners, what is the Port City relationship with Salty Dog? How do the two of you, as two companies, you know, affect each other's success? Yeah, you know, so you know, it was about four years ago we met John Salter. Uh, he, he'd come in, moved into town. Uh, he was kind of uh, bouncing around trying to just check out a lot of different facilities. Uh, you, know, Coach, you know, Coach Willis and I flirted around with the idea of uh, having having a Brazilian jiu-jitsu. We like to center ourselves with some of the best coaches and trainers uh, that this area has to offer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously uh, when we, you know, read his resume, uh, it was kind of a no-brainer as far as what was on paper. Uh, but then you get to meet the guy and you know that he, you know, he's extremely competitive. Uh, Such a good wants, guy. You know, oh, and he is. Yeah, he's a He's easy, a you great know, guy. Yes. Stand up guy. Easy, yeah, easy to talk to. Uh, you know, just you know, just down to earth. Yeah. Uh, he just like you know, with the exception of his big cauliflower ears. You know, he's he's really 
uh, you would think he's just an average guy off the street, you know. Um, right. But, you know, having said that, you know, here, here he was needing a home, and it just so happened we were looking to have somebody just like him uh, to provide a home. So next thing you know, mm-hmm. Salty Dog, uh, BJJ, and, and Port City Sports Performance create a partnership uh, that, that has both helped us grow, um, and it's been awesome. And Salty Dog, Salty Dog has people moving, you know, from everywhere, right? That's the rumor. Yeah, I mean, they re- he really does. And for uh, you, you know, and for Port City, I mean, you guys together are this massive marketing attraction at this point. Yeah, I would say, you know, take take two really good businesses uh, with with a very good word of mouth mm-hmm. um, that have very good values. Uh, you know, I think that we, we started on education and we've been in, in schools and, and people trust us, you know, like they know we're, we're, we're going to try to deliver the best. I think you take our relationship combined with his and I think it, 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 it's the same, you know, we, we are both are growing together. Some of our best wrestlers that come out of the Port City Pirates are already entering his Brazilian mm-hmm. Jiu-Jitsu. Some of his Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu guys need a gym to train so there there's literally this crossover that feeds into each other uh you know not to mention you know our trainers and his coaches to kind of bring this wealth of knowledge uh you know together to kind of really make it work yes and for me from the outside looking in jeremy it truly that relationship to an outsider was pure fate and you guys need each other and feed off each other and it's a really beautiful thing to watch so i know you know john just won on the 21st joe selecki just won jamie pickett just won uh what's it like for you as the owner of this facility and as a coach and an educator and so many ways for these guys you know character too all-inclusive What's it like for you emotionally to watch these guys win, and this consistently? Yeah, it, I mean, there's nothing better. You know, there is absolutely nothing better. Like I said, I've coached for almost 20 years uh, in high school wrestling. Uh, you know, as collegiate athlete, being myself, and as well as you, you know, uh, there, Miss Sarah. Yeah. Uh, there's <laughs> nothing better than than seeing you know you kind of your work come to fruition. Yes. Um, so to watch these guys, you know, to watch us facilitate. Uh, this this great facility where these guys get you know get what they need. Uh, they come in day in and day out, and they train and they work their tails off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's nothing better. I and mean, not to mention, still the old coach in me still gets nervous. You know, watching those right. guys over the past five days, I think I've got some gray hairs just because I, I get nervous for them. I want nothing but the best for them. You know, just the same as any other athlete that walks into it. You know, I love like watching it. our high school guys go to college. And same thing, our college guys go pro, you know, just you just that, that, that tension never goes away. You want nothing but the best for them. Right. So when I was a coach, Jeremy, I was the kind that screamed on the sidelines. So I actually, I used to have this dad that would take his lawn chair and all the parents were sitting on the bleachers on the other side of the field. That this one dad would put his chair right behind me. And I swear to God, it was only to watch me scream like a psychopath and run up and down the field. It was pure <laughs> entertainment. He wanted a front row seat. So I understand how you feel, especially in the last week, I'm sure. So um, so if you had to pinpoint, Jeremy, one character trait that truly makes an elite athlete elite, right, because you've, you've had experience watching all these guys, you've been one of them. You had so many uh, athletic successes in your own life does that give you, you know, the the skill you need to pinpoint an elite athlete early on before it even happens? Do you feel like you know when guys walk in the gym if they're just they're going to be it or not? I feel like you can judge a lot 
uh, by the person's, you know, the person's heart, their perseverance, their character. Okay. You know, uh, because, you know, the difference is you can take a well-rounded athlete, you know, just the top of the notch athlete. And that doesn't mean they're going to be able to retain the information that they need. It doesn't mean that they're going to really give everything full commitment without that heart portion. You know, if they have that heart, then they're going to be able to persevere through anything. Uh, you know, I think one of the best things that, that we get to watch uh, being as a, as a, you know, a sports-specific training and speed development, but working with athletes, you know, is to watch that JV athlete become a varsity athlete, you know, right. that high school athlete become a collegiate athlete, you know, all the way up the chain. Um, you know, we've worked with some great, some great people. I mean, we've, we've had, uh, you know, amazing high school and even collegiate go off to do even things that we still follow to this day. They become doctors and nurses. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've, we've had uh, pro, you know, we've had collegiate players go into the European uh, basketball league. Will Perry, he's been coming in and out, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you, you know, you got even, even like a Kim Lawrence who was the, you know, the world's strongest woman at one point that really dedicated and threw life, you know, into just really listing everything she possibly could to try to break these records and win. So, yes, it is mindset. Uh, you know, I think, go ahead. Oh, no, it is mindset. It is hard. I'm just completely agreeing with you. And this is the same thing I feel at Health Possible, and that's why we know that we can get results from these people because they're just so dedicated. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the best things, you know, you watch, you know, say a Larry Williams, you know, that was with us through high school uh, and came in when college. He went to Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. You know, he walked on uh, and, and had a, uh, a stint with the Packers. Um, you know, just these awesome, you know, our Port City Pirates wrestlers. Yeah, uh, you know, it's a Karen, a Kevin Saravia, who started in high school, became a two-time state champ in high school in a short amount of time. You know, a Mark Sandals, who's not out of high school yet, He's actually a two-timer. He won. Uh, he was, you know, undefeated last year as a sophomore. So he's on the map as being one of the best wrestlers to come out of the Port City Pirates. But then I think, you know, one of the best things for me, you know, I coached Frank Hickman. Frank Hickman in high school. He went to college. He wrestled D1 in college, uh, a national uh, qualifier. He coached in college. Now he's coaching in Thailand at one of the biggest, most uh, world-renowned training camps in Tiger Muay Thai and he's recognized by Joe Rogan and some of the best in the wow. MMA world and guess what they all trained in and out of PCSP so <laughs> you know to see to see that perseverance to see that athlete continuously push themselves to get better and be better not just in sport but in life I think that's amazing I'm so so salt, Jeremy. I feel like coming to Port City right now. (laughs) I feel like I need (laughs) to run there. It's such a good, it's not even a sale. It's just, it's life. It's a fact about your company. And you have, you know, all these great things coming out of your facility. The sky is the limit. What is your ultimate goal for the, for the brand, for, for the gym? You know, trying to think of the, you know, trying to think of that. It's, I don't, it's not just one thing. You know, I think, I think the best part about PCSP as a brand um, is, is what people really think of us. You know, we have a, a, a strong backing. Um, you know, you and I were chatting earlier and you asked how we did in the pandemic. You know, I, I think, you know, we as a product ourselves are uh, completely indicative of, of our 
population and the people that come in. You know, we have the average fitness client that just wants to train next to that motivated athlete, you know. Everybody's here for the Yeah, everybody's here for the same reason, you know, everybody just wants to, you know, be mentally and physically better. Um and that's that's why I really love it. I think the goal is to just have the best product and try to provide everything we can uh for for our our members. Um you know, yeah, down the road, would it be nice to have a couple gyms here and there and, and have the, the Port City Sports Performance Salty Dog name uh, blasted across, you know, MMA? Yeah, but it's nice to have one location and Quality. everybody just feel, you know, feel really awesome about that one location. So, yeah, I think that's quality over quantity the way you're talking and I. I wholeheartedly believe, you know, it's true as you start to span out, you know, not a bad thing to expand, but of course the family, the, the feel, the vibe, the culture, it's in those doors as it is. Right. And it's already yeah. exploding. So, you know, don't fix what's not broken kind of. Yeah. Yeah. You can always expand. Hey, trust me, you know, keep talking about perseverance. I'm always trying to get better. You know, I'll mm -hmm. keep adding equipment for what the athletes need or what our members need. I'll keep trying to, to grow and, and get space for our growing wrestling program and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So don't, don't get me wrong. I, you right. know, I'll, yeah. I'll grow and do what I got to do for, for my clientele. Sure. For sure. That's wonderful. So how can listeners get in contact with Port City or with yourself, Jeremy, if they want to come there or find you guys? Yeah. I mean, the easiest way, go to our website, portcitysports.net. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at PC Sports Performance. Uh, feel free to, you know, give us a call 910-442-9890 or even email us PCSB training at Gmail. So, but you can find all that information right on the website, portcitysports.net. Awesome. Well, Jeremy, it was great having you on with us today. I think all the listeners got a great education of Port City and what you guys do there and get the warm welcoming for, you know, crushing all their goals. So thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks for having me. It's awesome uh, talking to you. Thanks for your time. Absolutely. Thanks, Jeremy. Bye. 106.7 FM, The Big Talker. Thank you for listening on this Friday night. That was Jeremy Lewis, the owner of Port City Sports Performance. Our next guest this evening is a local professional MMA fighter who trains here in Wilmington at Port City Sports Performance and Hudson Rose Athletics under the training title Salty Dog Jiu-Jitsu. And on August 21st, so just... Uh, this past week, John Salter had a win by submission over Andrew Kappel, and it was his first time back since the whole pandemic, first time back fighting. Um, he also is an NAIA national champion wrestler, a black belt in jiu-jitsu, a 2017 ADCC qualifier, a UFC and Strike Force vet, and John is a top Bellator contender. Okay, John, so it's great to have you on today. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, no, uh, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, so congrats, first of all, congratulations on this win by submission. And correct me, John, if I do not say his name right, but August 21st with Andrew Kappel, is that correct? Um, I think it's Capel, but I have Capel. everybody say it differently, so I never did ask him. That <laughs> sounds probably like the more correct way to say it. So, Capel, so Andrew... Like 
50-50 on how people pronounce it. So I just keep saying Capel. That's funny. Well, so a win by submission over Andrew Capel. And, John, correct me if I'm wrong on this. It was your first fight back since the pandemic, correct? Yes. Uh, my last fight was in November. And, then you know, it was supposed to be ramping up, getting ready. And then COVID hit and uh, – Obviously shut everything down for a little bit, so it's right. good to get going again and get a fight this year. Well, now let me ask you this. You know, I know gyms were closed, and the two places you primarily train at were closed during the pandemic, of course. So did you actually stop training? Did you do things outdoors? You know, how did you keep up with your fitness level? Because I know I used to box not nearly at a fight level, obviously, of you guys over there. But um, but how did you keep up in the meantime? Um, yeah, you know, we had to uh, get creative on how we trained and, uh, you know, train at one point we we're even, uh, hitting pads and kickboxing in my garage, uh, swimming laps in my pool, you know, running sprints outside, just staying in shape, you know, uh, and then fortunately, uh, we were able to get pros back in a gym, uh, pretty quick. So we were able to get going again, uh, at a pretty decent time. Uh, I can't remember the data, but we weren't out of the gym too long. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. So what was it like for your first fight back, to John, to have a win? Uh, obviously, getting a win was, was huge. Huge, um, huge. Kind of weird fighting in no crowd. Um, sure. But, uh, you know, it was good. I'm very glad to get back out there and get a win, uh, especially after, you know, not fighting since November. So it was a, it was a big deal to get out there. Yeah, you're sparking new questions on me as you say these things, too. So how did that actually, not having a crowd, I mean, I played soccer in college. I know what it's like to play in front of people and then, you know, just have a more quiet game here and there or play on your own. How much did that change the emotional uh, drive for you in the fight, if at all? You know, I was really wondering how that was going to be. But honestly, it was kind of nice. There's, you know, normally you come out, there's thousands of people screaming. Right. Um, Everything you do, you either get a ooh or people scream. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and to not have any of that, it was kind of nice. You know, you never get that huge spike in heart rate just for people screaming at you. Um, I think you've seen a lot of really good fights since it started back with no crowds. And um, I think that's probably led to it a lot. People uh, feel more comfortable just to let go and kind of put everything else out of their mind. That's so interesting. And I would think, you know, and I, I captain the 5K for Marathon Madness here, so I get to talk to all those runners from that kind of high performance level, you know, a lot of people screaming at you and cheering for you comparison. And those people feed and live off of that screaming for those heart rate spikes. Um, so that's really interesting. That's a different perspective and not something I expected. Um, I'm curious, John, what's next for you beyond this fight? Um, you know, that's the million-dollar question, I guess. I'm supposed to find out pretty soon. Um, I have high hopes that I'll be fighting for the Bellator World Championship soon. Wow. But, uh, you know, I've always been right there on the verge. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope this did it. It's kind of tough with COVID. It keeps a lot of people out of the country. But then again, it makes it harder to, to make fights happen. So we'll see where it goes from there. But that's the hope. Right. Well, I'll stay positive for you. Something good's going to happen. You'll get there. You work way too hard not to, right? <laughs> That's right. I hope yes. so. I appreciate that. You do. Absolutely. So I would love to get your background, John. So what was your childhood like? And I know listeners want to know this. I've actually asked people if they could ask you personally before I, we had this call, if they could ask you anything, these are the things they wanted to know. What was your childhood like and what led you to become a fighter at all? 
Um, you know, I think most people think, oh, you're some crazy person. You go out there and fight for a oh, living. No. Um, but no, I grew up playing baseball and football. Um, kind of my passion. My dad was always my coach. Um, you know, so I had a really great uh, family life and everything. And uh, got into wrestling when I got into middle school. And just kind of took off with wrestling. I kind of left all other sports behind me. And um, that was my main focus. And my senior year of high school, um, I was getting ready, you know, it was right before graduation, getting ready to go to wrestling college. And I remember sitting on the couch watching uh, TV with my dad, and we flipped through, and the UFC was on. You know, this was a long time ago, and really kind of knew what the UFC was, but nobody watched it. Sure. And I remember telling my dad, these people are absolutely nuts. They're crazy. I would never do that. And um, then fast forward a few years, you know, and uh, that's what I do for a living. Really? You said but, you would uh, never you know, do that? Oh, yeah, I thought it was absolutely crazy. And then, of course, right after I said that, a wrestler came out and just mauled somebody wrestling. I'm like, well, I feel like I could, I could do that, but what kind of idiot wants to do that? Oh, my gosh. That's really funny, actually. Um, so, okay, so to become a professional fighter, now you said that obviously carried you to where you were today. Did you always know playing sports that you wanted to be a, prof- a professional athlete in general at least, or is this something that kind of fell into your lap or something, you know, high goals, refuse to lose situation? Oh, yeah. I was that typical, probably, uh, little boy that when you ask them what they're going to do with their life, if it was baseball season, I was going to be a major league baseball player. If it was football season, I was going to play in the NFL, you know. And that's all I, you know, I, uh, my life revolved around sports um, as a kid. You know, I remember my mom always telling me, hey, you need to worry about other things because that. Uh, that may not happen. And so when I got into wrestling, that was kind of the first time where I go, well, there is no uh, professional career here. It's just go wrestling college, try to win a national title, and get my degree. And then when I got into college, it was when I really got introduced to MMA. And uh, I honestly, even when I started MMA, I kind of just wanted to do it for fun while I went to grad school. And then it just kind of took off from there. Right. And you you do own Salty Dog Jiu-Jitsu, correct? Yeah, I'm the, uh, I run Salty Dark Jiu-Jitsu, the head instructor here, and we're located inside of uh, Port City Sports Performance. Right. Okay. So that entire career of wrestling led you not just to wrestle, but of course coach it as well through Salty Dog Jiu-Jitsu. Now, I know, as you just said, it operates in Port City Sports Performance. What's the relationship between Port City and Salty Dog, and how do they benefit each other? How do they affect each other and help each other succeed uh, on a detailed scale? Yeah. Well, you know, we're a great partnership because, uh, you know, actually when I came to Wilmington, uh, I started training and lifting and doing cardio at Port City Sports Performance. They had a wrestling program there. Um, but there was really, there's several guys that did jiu-jitsu here, several jiu-jitsu gyms, but there was not an elite jiu-jitsu gym of guys that competed at a high level. And, uh, you know, me being, you know, a professional fighter, a black belt in jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of good guys, but nobody really focused their, you know, everything on jiu-jitsu, and I needed that. You know, being a fighter, I competed a, a professionally in jiu-jitsu as well, so I need guys that are going to be there every day. So we started, salt, or I started Salty Dog, um, mm-hmm. and honestly, in the beginning, it was just me and a couple of guys, and just hoping it would go somewhere, and it's kind of funny, I would go fight guys that are, you know, uh, big-name guys and submit them. Uh, you know, I'm fighting on national TV, submitting guys, and I would come back and think, Jim's going to take off now, and nobody would show up. Oh, my And uh, then uh, I went and competed 
Uh, a lot of people don't know what the ADCC is, but that's like the Olympics for Jiu-Jitsu. There's two people that qualify from each continent, and I qualified for North America. So, you know, you're top 16 in the world mm-hmm. um, if you do that. And uh, so I qualified for that, and I thought, oh, now Jim's going to take off. And um, took a little bit, but finally now we've got guys moving from all over the country to train here. Um, wow. Jim's really blown up. People are moving from all. Incredibly. People are moving from all over the country to train at Port City with you guys at Salty Dog, John. Oh yeah, we have guys uh, message me all the time saying they want to move here to train. We have guys that have have made the move now, and it, it's really become just a big family. And wow. um, we're, you know, this weekend kind of the thing that. Uh, you know, me winning on Bellator, and then the next night, Joe Selecki winning in the UFC, mm-hmm. uh, something that was kind of overlooked as our jiu-jitsu team, while two of the coaches are out of town winning on TV, our jiu-jitsu team went and won a big tournament in South Carolina this weekend. So um, it's really been, uh, been a great week for us. That's uh, incredible. Yeah, that says a lot about Salty Dog and Port City that you guys are getting people to move here from all over the country. I guarantee, too, people are going to hear this and start running over there. They want to be around all the really cool Lee athletes they aspire to be like. That's amazing. So congratulations for all that. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. It took some time, but uh, really been blessed, and it's really taken off now. And uh, like you're asking about Port City Sports Performance, it's been a big blessing there because, you know, in Jiu-Jitsu, you need to lift. You need to be explosive and an athlete, and to have to be attached with them and partners with them, mm-hmm. it's really helped all of our guys a lot. Yes, yeah. Oh, I'm sure. So, and you just mentioned, you know, Joe Selecki winning, and these guys are your athletes. So, for you, John, what's it like emotionally as a head trainer to watch your athletes win these fights? I mean, you know that you've produced excellence, right? Um, yeah, you know, and Joe's one of those guys that moved here to train here. Joe was already good. Um, actually, I was doing a seminar and uh out of town and met joe and then he messaged me uh about a week later and said hey i'd like to come train with you guys some came and trained and then about six months later said hey i'm moving there and um so to have him come in here already such an elite guy mm-hmm. um and then jamie pickett who just won and got signed to the ufc last night so you know to have guys like that is huge and uh you know one thing i, I don't look at myself as the coach for these guys, I look at myself as more of the organizer because all these guys have great skills. Um, all these guys are working, you know, with uh, different boxing coaches mm-hmm. and things like that. And I kind of feel like my job is number one, I'm going to set up how we're going to train and make sure we're working hard. And yes, I'm going to try and tighten up everybody's jiu-jitsu and wrestling, but it's just helping everybody put it together in our practices. And at the same time, I'm focusing on me putting it together, you know? Right. And uh, so I don't really look at myself as a coach to these guys, but more of an organizer and to make sure we're doing all the right things. Because you're learning with them too. That's really interesting. So so as a pro trainer, when they come here and they move here, you know, not – I mean, I'm sure the ones moving here from across the country might already be elite, but not everyone has to be elite to train under you, correct? Absolutely. We have new people every night uh, – come in that have never done jiu-jitsu a day in their life you know beautiful and um that's that's my favorite thing i love it because you know it i'm a firm believer not for everybody but for for a lot of people jiu-jitsu changes your life Mm -hmm. and it can be really tough if you go into a gym where everybody's got these big egos because they've never really done a whole lot and then they try to hurt the new guy but when you come into a gym like Mm -hmm. our gym where everybody's accomplished everybody has uh credentials when a new guy comes in, everybody just wants to help him, you know, and that's 
my favorite thing is after a practice when a guy does his first night and he says, or a girl, and I say, mm-hmm. everybody was so nice and helped me so much. Um, you know, and that's my goal with everybody Aww. is we're trying to be a big family. And to do that, we've got to grow and we've got to bring people in that are brand new to the sport and introduce them to it. Yeah, I love that. That's fantastic. So when someone does come to you and they have a goal to become uh, professional or elite, do you know as an experienced person, as an experienced athlete, do you know early on if somebody's going to be professional before it even begins? Can you pinpoint that? Not really. You know, there's been so many people that, uh, you know, through I've been wrestling for, what, 23 years now. There's been so many people that I'll look at a couple of years in and be like, well, they're having a blast and they love it, so that's great. But it's just never going to click for them. And then a year later, they're just incredible, you know. And uh, it's, it's funny to see that. Some people, it might take them five years for it to really click and take off. And some people, day one, you're like, oh, this person's picking it up fast, you know. So it's the great thing about our sport is if you're willing to work hard, you're going to get the results. That's, yes, agreed. And so many college coaches, I feel like, will tell you, you know, they'll tell everybody that they know they know a pro athlete by the age of eight. And it's like, I don't know how you can just always know that. I mean, I get you're, you know, trying to recruit and groom them up and all that. But there's definitely the hidden stars, you know, the diamonds in the rough out there who just need the special attention. I promise you. Yeah. I promise you, if you saw me at eight years old, you'd be like, that kid's never going to play a college sport. (laughs) Probably me too, to be honest. All right, John, uh, last question here. So beyond becoming the best athlete that you can be, what is your ultimate goal in MMA fighting? You know, lifelong, and of course it builds your character and other aspects of your life. So how does that work for you, you know, applying those things to your everyday life and long term? Um, you know, I mean, obviously, as, as a competitor, competitive professional athlete, my goal is to be the best guy in the world, you know. Sure. Um, and, and that's always my number one thing is I'm trying to outwork everybody in the world. And then, you know, but realistically, we got to look at what's our most important things we're doing with our life. Mm-hmm. And if my success, if I can do anything with it, I need to be spreading the gospel, right, and showing the blessings that God's put in my life. And and just hopefully I can be an example of how to live as a man, as a husband, you know, and uh, one day as a father, you know, and, and do all that. Hopefully that's making a difference, and that just means I've got to make sure I do everything right. Right. Well, I love this because this just goes to show you, you know, destroy the misconception, John, like you said early on, that fighters are crazy. You know, you're a great person with a great spirit, and you're working on building your character and your family and your life through all these things, and it, it plays a large part in your life beyond the mats. Well, I hope so. You know, I um, I hope that I do that every day. I know some days I fall short, but hopefully more often than not, I can be the right example. You are, John. You are. So how can our listeners get in contact with Salty Dog if they would like to train under you guys? What is some uh, methods of contact for you? Um, you know, the best thing is if you have an Instagram account, um, shoot me a message on Salty Dog Jiu-Jitsu on Instagram. And, uh, you know, it's an easy way to get in con- contact with me. Or you can go to my Instagram, uh, John Salter uh, MMA on Instagram, and uh, I'll, you know, see that. I can respond on how to come in. Or, you know, if you just want to look up Salty Dog Jiu-Jitsu or Port City Sports Performance and just come in and talk to somebody here. Um, and I'm here most nights, so you can come in and talk to me, and we can get you going. Beautiful, John. Thank you so much for coming on 106.7 The Big Talker. It's a pleasure having you. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. We'll talk soon. Sounds great.
106.7 FM, The Big Talker. That was MMA professional fighter and Bellator contender John Salter. Here training with Port City Sports Performance and Hudson Rose Athletics under Salty Dog Jiu-Jitsu. New segment, new segment, new segment. Uh, management moment of the week. How many people out there now as an employee right as an employee of somebody else uh, uh many moments in my life many years in my life and even really still to this day of course you know we're always technically uh working for our customers if anything right so how many of us and i can attest to this you get feedback from a manager or you get feedback or even just a a comment to try to deliver it more lightly rather than, you know, direct sit down. I have feedback for you situation. How many people out there get feedback by a manager? Don't like it no matter what it is. And then realize later on that they only don't like it because it's always frustrating to be told what, what to do or how to do it. Or, you know, the array of things that come with having a boss. How many people just hate having a boss, right? I think most people don't like having to report to somebody else. I mean, maybe that's just my bias because I'm one of those, so I see the world that way as a majority, and it might not be true. However, a lot of people I talk to will commonly tell me, you know, that they would rather not have a boss. They'd rather work for themselves, and I feel like we're in an entrepreneurship or entrepreneur flagship era where, uh, or I'm sorry, this era is the flagship of entrepreneurship. That's the right way to say that and deliver that, is that right now everyone wants to work for themselves. People are trying so hard to run their own businesses, even small little, you know, internet startups, little social media startups here and there, side gigs, you know, they've still got their nine to five. We all don't want a boss. <laughs> Human nature, kids don't want to listen to their parents, right? It's almost like we never grow out of that. And I, I am not positive, you know, any kind of scientific reasoning behind that, but it's still important. Now, I can attest to it as being somebody else's employee, but now speaking as a manager, I can attest to having employees who don't listen to me just because I'm their manager and not because it's anything really negative about them or about I or this or that or the other. And it's frustrating, but you have to remember at the end of the day, people are human, right? For all the managers out there listening, your staff is always going to get frustrated with you at some point because they're just tired of being told something, right? So now there's an aspect of this for the employees out there coming from a manager we know people are going to get frustrated with us, but what are we trying to do as good, positive leaders? We're trying to coach people. And having, had, and playing on a team in college, it's important, obviously, to be coachable. And that's something I learned playing on sports teams my whole life and in college. But even more so as an employee... And now even more so as a manager speaking to other, to my own employees, it is vital that you be coachable because if you're not coachable, you might be defensive or disrespectful or completely not responsive. And then that's just, you know, a performance aspect. Being coachable is one of the most important 
top three ways to stay on a team, right? So being coachable will get you on a team, but staying coachable will keep you on that team. Whether we are talking about sports, work, you know, whatever it might be, even in your relationship, you have to be coachable in your own relationships. Socially and romantically, you have to be able to take feedback from the other person in order to compromise. And of course, in giving that feedback or in getting feedback, there can be, you know, mutual understanding of where things fall through, where we can improve. There's always room for improvement. And that should be a dialogue. It should be a strong dialogue and a strong conversation. And actually, I'm pretty proud of myself because I tweeted being coachable will get you on the team and staying coachable will keep you there. And my old volleyball coach from actually he was my volleyball coach in middle school, but he is a champion high school volleyball coach at my alma mater, Windsor High School in upstate New York. He just retweeted that comment and said, Windsor volleyball, good advice from an alumni. I will take it, Scott Simmons. Thank you very much. I know you're up there in New York. You probably are not listening to the Big Talker, but maybe you'll find me on Spotify. So, yeah, guys, being coachable is everything to your success. Because if you're not willing to be coached anymore or take feedback anymore, then you're not looking to thrive. You're not looking to improve. And I can promise you not being coachable will not elevate your career or your social life, or any aspect of your character that you're trying to grow or, you know, can acknowledge that you need to grow. Who's giving you feedback does matter. That is important. You should not take advice from someone who you wouldn't want to trade places with, right? Now, now, of course, that can be a double-edged sword. You know, I might be somebody's manager, but that doesn't necessarily mean they want to trade places with me, you know, in life managing that place or, you know, what I'm doing career-wise otherwise. But if you want to grow into even a parallel type position of the person or situation that the person who is talking to you uh that that person, who that person is that's talking to you, you have to be able to receive feedback at some capacity. Now, even if you don't want anything to do with someone's situation when it comes to advice, it is crucial to your employment that you have optimal performance under their leadership, right? And doing your best, yes, if you do your best and you can confidently say you did your best, nothing else matters, you know, be, a bad job, you will separate from a bad job that does not appreciate you doing your best. Now, if you're getting feedback and there's room for improvement there and you're being completely resistant to that or you're not willing to mold, to adapt to the environment you're in to keep a job if you like that job, of course, you're not going to get to stay there, right? The way managers run things are the way they're supposed to be run. So being coachable gets you on the team Staying coachable will keep you there. Now, I personally have caught myself being defensive before. Not disrespectful. No excuse for disrespect. But to be defensive, that's you're, you're protecting something in yourself, in your mind, that you don't mean to out loud, or that you don't realize you're doing it, uh, or you just haven't taken a moment to open your mind prior to receiving that feedback. Maybe it's something you know that you do. Being defensive 
keeps people out, right? It keeps them away. And when someone doesn't give up on you, that says a lot about you. So if you're defensive to the point that someone's given up on trying to help you, you're headed down the wrong path. And it's a dark path. If someone does not give up on you, that says a lot. Now, if a coach or a manager does give up on you, that is the day you're done. You're signing your death certificate there with that person. If they never stop riding you or bothering you or commenting or pulling you aside, they still believe in you. That's the point. Another aspect of being coachable, guys, or receiving feedback, make sure your own biases are not in the way or your own, I hate to use the word prejudices, but let's, let's use age as an example because I experienced this. I've experienced this a lot because I'm 27. And there's been times I've walked into, ro- into rooms and onto committees and onto teams and wherever else. And whether I was in charge or not, I was the youngest person in there by 40 years sometimes. And I am in charge of people at other places. And I've still got people who work for me who are much older than me. Much, much older than me. I'm talking, you know, anywhere from 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Those are the ages that I currently supervise in many different, many different arenas of my life. If you cannot take feedback from somebody younger than you, that's also an issue. Because it's not, it's not, I can speak to this personally. When I give somebody feedback who's older than me, it has nothing to do with being, you know, better than you at your job or wiser than you or etc., has to do with I've had different experiences than that person regardless of age yes somebody younger than you or older than you however it is might have more experience in one area than you do or might just be able to provide you with different strategies or methods to be more efficient what does age have to do with accepting feedback Now let's use positions, for example. Let's say somebody works for me and I'm the manager, but they have feedback for me as a manager. Should I accept that feedback? Of course I should, because if I didn't, how am I going to be a better manager? It's not always about the people above you. If anything... You need the people that are assisting you or working for you even more at times. Both matter. That is a slippery slope. You have to be willing to accept feedback from people because everyone has a different life experience than you. It doesn't make yours wrong, but they just might have a more efficient or a more effective way. Or it simply follows the rules and the methods that that facility uses, that business model uses. It might just be policy. Accepting feedback isn't an insult. Accepting feedback should not offend you. 
And if you are defensive or disrespectful to feedback, there's only one person in that situation who's not willing to grow. <laughs> and it's the person not taking any feedback. Resistance, resistance to change does not get you change. All right, everybody, new segment, Crazy Talk. So I talked last week about government assistance and ways that we could improve the community using government assistance. Now, if you did not hear the show last week, I talked about how Health Possible has increased the household economic value excuse me, value of our clientele uh, over 36% cumulatively last year in 2019. We have also uh, correlated with the elimination of food stamps for our clients, the elimination of government housing for our clients. And again, I say correlate because I can't say that was directly, you know, something that we were focused on or did. Uh, however, we help people to better take care of themselves and to better provide for themselves. So again, Health Possible's financial aid for alternative medicine, uh, fitness, nutrition, and mental health care. We financially aid those things. And our goal is that the people in the programs can successfully provide for themselves completely independently by the time it's over. Now, why is that? Uh, a correlation and a goal of ours because when you learn how to take care of yourself physically and mentally you can apply all those newfound lessons and confidence and all the things that you've learned about yourself you know character wise your limits it's a lot about limits you can apply those things to your everyday life with family jobs income so many other aspects when we take care of ourselves, we also want to do better in life. We're proud. We want to stay proud, right? We, we have learned how to take responsibility for things, so we take on more responsibility for things. It's just a domino effect. Now, that being said, last week, again, Crazy Talk talked about government assistance and how to, uh, how to improve communities utilizing this. So my example last week was if people are in government housing, why isn't there some kind of pass-fail evaluation of how well they take care of their homes, right? So the whole goal of, and the whole point of this conversation was that it's not easy, or at least it should not be easy, to live off of any system, off of any government, off of any organization, whatever that might be. And I, I do say this, I'm not just saying this on air, you know, indirectly to my listeners. I'm saying this directly, I say it directly at my jobs, I say it directly at Health Possible. I'll sit a client down and say, I just want to let you know right now that you have an obligation to be a contributing member of society and to take care of yourself. Because right now, you've handed 100% of this issue to me. And I want you to acknowledge, and I swear, this is what I tell them, and I say, and I want you to acknowledge how uncomfortable it is right now that I'm telling you that I personally, as, you know, speaking on behalf of the company, have financial control over your ability to get these services. Not you. Me. And tell me how that makes you feel. And of course, it makes them feel uncomfortable. No one likes not having control. 
You don't have to be a control freak to at least want to make your own decisions in life freely. Right? But the more we rely on government to make decisions for us, the more we give away freedom. And that's where those things align, right? On a micro scale and on a macro scale. So at Health Possible, I look clients in the eye and I say, hey, I have control over part of your life right now. Does that make you uncomfortable? Yes or no? No. I knew the, or yes, I'm sorry. Yes. I knew the answer was yes, it makes you uncomfortable. That's the best answer you could give me. Do you know what that means? And they go, no, what? You have to get control of it. And guess what you're here to do? Just that. You've lost control at some point in your life, and now you're here to get it back. And I am so excited to have a hand in your uh, education and your ability to relearn how to do that. You're going to turn your whole life around here. And they get all starry-eyed, and I'm dead serious. And I mean every single word that comes out of my mouth when I have this conversation with them. And suddenly, it's just like a wake-up call, like, oh my God. God, I didn't know that I was so dependent. Like, I just thought this was my normal everyday life. I mean, everybody listening right now, you're probably in your car. Could you imagine not having that car? Being used to it? Nothing wrong with public transportation. I used it in college. But it's still frustrating. Very frustrating to not have control over your day in that huge, huge manner. Your whole life revolves around somebody else's schedule. And when you're on government assistance, your whole life revolves around somebody else's money. And a group of people who dictate what you get to do with that money, which is fair and unfair at the same time. Unfair for you as a person, but fair because you should not be able to do whatever you want when you're not in control of your own life. You have not proved that you can, con- that you can take care of yourself yet. So let's, let's go all the way back to government housing. My example last week was, if you're on government housing, there should be some kind of government assistance probation officer visiting your home, and you have a pass-fail evaluation of how well you take care of that home. And I don't mean if something's broken, you have to have the money to go fix it. I mean, of course we want you to, tr- to be trying to get a job or to be trying to afford your own place to live, but cleanliness. I think we all have a hand cloth, hopefully water. I think in Wilmington, everybody has running water for the most part. But if you live in government housing, you have running water, okay? So to at least scrub down things and keep it as clean as possible. Maybe cleaning supplies is something that comes with government housing. I don't know. I know nobody wants to hear that. I'll be really honest. I don't even want to hear that. However, we have to teach people how to take care of something. I think I'd personally, I mean, I'm just really thinking out loud on air right now, but I think personally I would rather, as a taxpayer, I'd rather bite the bullet at first of providing the supplies needed to educate because in the long term, there should be a plan, obviously, to relieve those uh, tax needs or expenses that we've actually now gotten to the point of prevention. Education, prevention. 
or we've raised the cost of government housing where you know they've had to earn more money or some kind of you know elevation of standard where they can suddenly provide those cleaning supplies themselves i don't know again i'm just thinking out loud on air but i have a new example this week reflecting on last week's crazy talk we make and again, you know, I don't know the right answers. I'm just thinking on air of how to improve communities through government assistance. Because again, at my organization, that is something that people learn how to do in their health. And I know intuitively that you keep the spark of intrinsic motivation in the human by keeping them responsible. Like I said earlier, when we become responsible, we take on more responsibility. It's a domino effect. We're confident in doing it. We know how to. So now, we make prisoners do community service. Let's look outside the box now, right? Those are people who, you know, are being punished in prison, but they make them do community service and volunteer work. Now, as a college student, I got a scholarship. Now, it might have been a private college, but I'm quite confident public schools require community service as well. So we're making students who are not getting paychecks indirectly. Sure, yeah, you're getting an education out of it. But we are making students do community service. Great, life-changing, 100% encourage it, changed my life. Uh, we need to give back anyway, you know, as people and, and community members in stable environments and the ability to do so. We need to give back. We also make prisoners do it. So, zoom out. Why don't we make people on, say, welfare do community service, right? These people, now when I say welfare, right, you're getting a direct paycheck. You're getting paid by the government for many reasons. There's people who really, really do need help. I personally believe that if somebody has the ability to sit home all day long and is, you know, at least a, um, is at least a, functioning human being to the point that they can think, see, hear, you know, whatever those details are to do desk work that people sitting at home all day, living off government assistance, often at least have the capacity to perform desk job work. So I still, I still don't want any excuses there or make excuses in that manner. I do believe if you're sitting at home all day and there are jobs available, especially remote ones, if you don't have a car, that there is work to be done in this world. There's always opportunity where you're willing to seek it. And there's ways that you can earn your own living and not live off government assistance. So in order to put responsibility back on the people who are getting this free ride, why don't they have to volunteer or do community service work for nonprofits? Or for the community itself, for the actual local government, for the town? Clean up the highways or clean up the parks. I could name thousands of nonprofits that need volunteers who often struggle to make numbers. But there's nothing in place to make people sitting around at home all day collecting checks do that. Now, again, a lot of this is education. I don't look down on people. I meet people where they are. I'm strictly talking solutions. Let's put the motivation back in the people. Let's get the spark. 
Let's make people responsible and get some pride. Let's make people proud of themselves, proud to live where they live. And also, one last thing on, you know, pass-fail evaluation of government housing, if you're going to live in government housing, cleanliness, how much neater and nicer would our communities be if we did, you know, from a literal visual perspective, make those people clean up and take care of their own homes, yards, etc. But now think psychologically. How many people just learned responsibility and pride from a very basic thing many of us, you know, it's really not basic for somebody that has those complications in life, but basic to someone like me. You know, I think it's basic to clean my house. I clean my house every single day. I cleaned houses for a living in college. I used to get paid to do it. So to me, it's like second nature. The psychological aspects that come with picking up after yourself, again, responsibility, you take it one step further sooner or later. Now let's talk crime. If we're keeping people busy with responsibility, whether we make them get a job or we make them earn their government assistance, what's the potential percentage of crime reduction? They're busy taking care of things. Their home, maybe it's their families, maybe it's the community, right? And now, now let's say you've taken people from government housing and put them in, you know, literally in the middle of the day. You've taken them from, from doing nothing or sitting around all day and you've placed them in a local park very nearby, easily, easily uh, done for transportation, and you've given them... time to work on the community how many people just came off the streets you know who are just you know up to no good or waiting you know waiting for something bad to happen or you know could just be at the wrong place at the wrong time how many of those people how much of that time can we remove from society by placing them in community service uh, groups aspects doing something better for the greater good now, let's talk the benefits of networking. You just met a bunch of people who, whether it's run nonprofits or are also they're volunteering, have their own jobs, maybe they own businesses, etc. You've just placed them all together. We could teach these people networking. Maybe you didn't know how to get a job before. Maybe you didn't have internet. Maybe you didn't have transportation. Maybe you're just raised not to know any better. The importance of getting a job. Or maintaining one. Through doing community service, we also teach people skills. So now we're also providing trade. Or education. There are so many benefits. It's not just about working. There's so many benefits to contributing. That are selfish. And sometimes being selfish is great. This is where it's extremely positive things that can be selfish in giving in giving we can improve a lot of lives just by obligating some form of work at some capacity even if it's on their own street and they don't have to drive anywhere again probation officer officers we already pay people to clean up those communities for them why not just have that person 
make them do it. And if you don't do it, obviously there's got to be repercussions. Maybe not doing the work is where it becomes, you know, I guess I don't want to say crime because that could be a horrible answer. I don't know the answer on that part. Moving on. Another crazy talk idea for all the bars out there. Have you guys, I heard this is a thing in California. I came up with this at work the other day with my good friend, who I'm not going to say his name, (laughs) but uh, we were talking about a singles bar. Now, I'm not, I didn't come up with this because I'm single, but I have a friend who is single and has a very hard time meeting people. And I will add, probably meeting people his age who are also single. Now, that's okay. But it's also very hard to find a place to go where that is not just okay, right, to go up to people or be approachable, etc. It's hard to go to a place where it's known that somebody is single. Again, this is for all the bars out there. I mean, somebody else might want to do this too as a business owner, but why don't bars have something called singles night where you have people come, and they could come with their friends, but their friends should also have to be single, but where you only let people in who are, you know, state that they're single or looking, you know, for somebody else. I don't think it's anybody's business, you know, at what capacity. You obviously talk to people when you get there, but... But I know this person who's much older than me who has a hard time meeting people his age and doesn't want to meet somebody, you know, traditionally at the bar because there's a stigma tied to that. And it's not wrong, but I can understand where he's coming from. Personally, I wouldn't want that to be me either. I just, you know, again, it's a stigma and, and you want to meet somebody, you know, as naturally as possible. But what if, you know, if online dating is such a huge thing, What's wrong with in-person dating where you know everyone on the platform or in the facility is also looking? Again, singles night. could be a huge marketing pull. Huge marketing pull for bars in Wilmington, especially, you know, in the surviving times right now. And everybody could do it. You know, it doesn't have to be one bar that's just this huge singles bar every night of the week. It could be, you know, a bunch of breweries link up or a bunch of bars link up and have their one night they decide you know whose night each week is singles night and all the singles go to that bar that night and maybe you don't have to only let singles in but maybe you just make it really known between social media and the front door that it's singles night I wouldn't suggest giving people like shirt tags or anything because then it just gets embarrassing if there's other people there not for singles night and then everyone's judging you that you went out, you know, to meet other people. I don't know. But to get people who are not fearful of stigmas or to get people looking to meet other people, you know, their age, but all ages welcome, um, you know, in the same situation, advertise to have them all gather together. Like I said, All these social media platforms to date online. Let's do it in person. Also, you get out and you meet new people, even if you don't end up dating them. It'd be pretty fun. 
I'm sure. I have a lot of friends that I bet would go. So just an idea on Crazy Talk for all the listeners out there. If there's any business owners who uh, needs a new marketing scheme, uh, Singles Night, help a bunch of people I know, you know, get out there in the world, especially during the pandemic. Actually, speaking of that, have you, has anybody else noticed how many less people you've met this year because of the pandemic? I mean, I know it's obvious, but really, I mean, really sat down and thought about all of the relationships you missed out on, not even realizing it, because you wouldn't know who they were supposed to be, right? But all these people you did not meet this year because you couldn't go anywhere. And even still, why would you talk to people you have to stay six feet away from or or have a mask. You're not going to approach people in masks and just, you know, spark up conversation. You have no idea what their mouth looks like. Like, that's really awkward and weird. I've said this on air before. It's so weird for me as a manager hiring during a pandemic when everybody in an interview comes in with a face mask on. And obviously they have to, but I can't even see who I'm hiring. Very odd. (laughs) It's very odd. Very hard to know character without a whole face. Very hard to, well, I mean... I guess not, but to a, to a capacity, it throws us off. Just throws off our psyche, and it's awkward. It's strange. We don't know what to make of it. We're not used to it. New segment, new segment, new segment. Uh, management moment of the week. How many people out there now, as an employee, right? As an employee of somebody else, uh, uh, many moments in my life, many years in my life, and even really still to this day. Of course, you know we're always technically uh, working for our customers, if anything, right? So how many of us, and I can attest to this, you get feedback from a manager or you get feedback or even just a, a comment to try to deliver it more lightly rather than, you know, direct sit down, I have feedback for you situation. How many people out there get feedback by a manager, don't like it, no matter what it is, And then realize later on that they only don't like it because it's always frustrating to be told what to do or how to do it or, you know, the array of things that come with having a boss. How many people just hate having a boss, right? I think most people don't like having to report to somebody else. I mean, maybe that's just my bias because I'm one of those. So I see the world that way as a majority and it might not be true. However... A lot of people I talk to will commonly tell me, you know, that they would rather not have a boss. They'd rather work for themselves. And I feel like we're in an entrepreneurship or entrepreneur flagship era where, uh, or I'm sorry, this era is the flagship of entrepreneurship. That's the right way to say that and deliver that is that right now everyone wants to work for themselves. People are trying so hard to run their own businesses, even small little, you know, internet startups, little social media startups here and there, side gigs, you know, they've still got their nine to five. We all don't want a boss. (laughs) Human nature. Kids don't want to listen to their parents, right? It's almost like we never grow out of that. And I, I am not positive, you know, any kind of scientific reasoning behind that, but it's still important. Now, I can attest to it as being somebody else's employee, but now speaking as a manager, I can attest to having employees who don't listen to me just because I'm their manager and not because it's anything really negative about them or about I or this or that or the other. 
And it's frustrating, but you have to remember at the end of the day, people are human, right? For all the managers out there listening, your staff is always going to get frustrated with you at some point because they're just tired of being told something, right? So now there's an aspect of this for the employees out there coming from a manager. We know people are going to get frustrated with us, but what are we trying to do as good, positive leaders? We're trying to coach people. And heading, head, and playing on a team in college, it's important, obviously, to be coachable. And that's something I learned playing on sports teams my whole life and in college. But even more so as an employee, and now even more so as a manager speaking to other, to my own employees, it is vital that you be coachable. Because if you're not coachable, you might be defensive or disrespectful or completely not responsive and then that's just you know a performance aspect being coachable is one of the most important top three ways to stay on a team right so being coachable will get you on a team but staying coachable will keep you on that team whether we are talking about sports work you know Whatever it might be, even in your relationship, you have to be coachable in your own relationships. Socially and romantically, you have to be able to take feedback from the other person in order to compromise. And of course, in giving that feedback or in getting feedback, there can be, you know, a mutual understanding of where things fall through, where we can improve. There's always room for improvement. And that should be a dialogue. It should be a strong dialogue and a strong conversation. And actually, I'm pretty proud of myself because I tweeted, being coachable will get you on the team and staying coachable will keep you there. And my old volleyball coach from, actually, he was my volleyball coach in middle school, but he is a champion high school volleyball coach at my alma mater, Windsor High School in upstate New York. He just retweeted that comment and said, Windsor Volleyball, good advice from an alumni. I will take it, Scott Simmons. Thank you very much. I know you're up there in New York. You probably are not listening to the Big Talker, but maybe you'll find me on Spotify. So yeah, guys, being coachable is everything to your success. Because if you're not willing to be coached anymore or take feedback anymore, then you're not looking to thrive. You're not looking to improve. And I can promise you not being coachable will not elevate your career or your social life, or any aspect of your character that you're trying to grow or, you know, can acknowledge that you need to grow. Who's giving you feedback does matter. That is important. You should not take advice from someone who you wouldn't want to trade places with, right? Now, Now, of course, that can be a double-edged sword. You know, I might be somebody's manager, but that doesn't necessarily mean they want to trade places with me, you know, in life managing that place or, you know, what I'm doing career-wise otherwise. But if you want to grow into even a parallel type position of the person or situation that the person who is talking to you... uh, that that person, who that person is that's talking to you, you have to be able to receive feedback at some capacity. Now, even if you don't want anything to do with someone's situation when it comes to advice, it is crucial to your employment 
that you have optimal performance under their leadership, right? And doing your best, yes, if you do your best and you can confidently say you did your best, nothing else matters. You know, a bad job, you will separate from a bad job that does not appreciate you doing your best. Now, if you're getting feedback and there's room for improvement there, and you're being completely resistant to that, or you're not willing to mold, to adapt to the environment you're in to keep a job, if you like that job, of course, you're not going to get to stay there, right? The way managers run things are the way they're supposed to be run. So being coachable gets you on the team. Staying coachable will keep you there. Now, I personally have caught myself being defensive before. Not disrespectful. No excuse for disrespect. But to be defensive, that's you're, you're protecting something in yourself, in your mind, that you don't mean to out loud, or that you don't realize you're doing it, uh, or you just haven't taken the moment to open your mind prior to receiving that feedback. Maybe it's something you know that you do. Being defensive keeps people out, right? It keeps them away. And when someone doesn't give up on you, that says a lot about you. So if you're defensive to the point that someone's given up on trying to help you, you're headed down the wrong path. And it's a dark path. If someone does not give up on you, that says a lot. Now, if a coach or a manager does give up on you, That is the day you're done. You're signing your death certificate there with that person. If they never stop riding you or bothering you or commenting or pulling you aside, they still believe in you. That's the point. Another aspect of being coachable, guys, or receiving feedback... Make sure your own biases are not in the way or your own, I hate to use the word prejudices, but let's, let's use age as an example because I experienced this. I've experienced this a lot because I'm 27 and there's been times I've walked into, ro- into rooms and onto committees and onto teams and wherever else and whether I was in charge or not, I was the youngest person in there by 40 years sometimes. And I am in charge of people at other places. And I've still got people who work for me who are much older than me. Much, much older than me. I'm talking, you know, anywhere from 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Those are the ages that I currently supervise. In many different, many different arenas of my life. If you cannot take feedback from somebody younger than you... That's also an issue because it's not, it's not, I can speak to this personally. When I give somebody feedback who's older than me, it has nothing to do with being, you know, better than you at your job or wiser than you or etc. It has to do with, I've had different experiences than that person, regardless of age. Yes, somebody younger than you or older than you, however it is, might have more experience in one area than you do, or might just be able to provide you with different strategies or methods to be more efficient. 
What does age have to do with accepting feedback? Now let's use positions for example. Let's say somebody works for me and I'm the manager, but they have feedback for me as a manager. Should I accept that feedback? Of course I should, because if I didn't, how am I going to be a better manager? It's not always about the people above you. If anything, you need the people that are assisting you or working for you even more at times. Both matter. That is a slippery slope. You have to be willing to accept feedback from people because everyone has a different life experience than you. It doesn't make yours wrong, but they just might have a more efficient or a more effective way. Or it simply follows the rules and the methods that that facility uses, that business model uses. It might just be policy. Accepting feedback isn't an insult. Accepting feedback should not offend you. And if you are defensive or disrespectful to feedback, there's only one person in that situation who's not willing to grow. <laughs> and it's the person not taking any feedback. Resistance, resistance to change does not get you change. All right, everybody, new segment, crazy talk. So I talked last week about government assistance and ways that we could improve the community using government assistance. Now, if you did not hear the show last week, I talked about how Health Possible has increased the household economic value, excuse me, value of our clientele uh, over 36% cumulatively last year in 2019. We have also uh, correlated with the elimination of food stamps for our clients, the elimination of government housing for our clients. And again, I say correlate because I can't say that was directly, you know, something that we were focused on or did. Uh, however, we help people to better take care of themselves and to better provide for themselves. So again, Health Possible's financial aid for alternative medicine, uh, fitness, nutrition, and mental health care. We financially aid those things. And our goal is that the people in the programs can successfully provide for themselves completely independently by the time it's over. Now, why is that uh, a correlation and a goal of ours? Because when you learn how to take care of yourself physically and mentally, you can apply all those newfound lessons and confidence and all the things that you've learned about yourself, you know, character-wise, your limits. It's a lot about limits. You can apply those things to your everyday life with family, jobs, income, so many other aspects. When we take care of ourselves, we also want to do better in life. We're proud. We want to stay proud, right? We, we have learned how to take responsibility for things, so we take on more responsibility for things. It's just a domino effect. Now, that being said, last week, again, Crazy Talk talked about government assistance and how to, uh, how to improve communities utilizing this. So, my example last week was if people are in government housing, why isn't there some kind of pass-fail evaluation of how well they take care of their homes, 
right? So the whole goal of, and the whole point of this conversation was that it's not easy, or at least it should not be easy to live off of any system, off of any government, off of any organization, whatever that might be. And I, I do say this, I'm not just saying this on air, you know, indirectly to my listeners. I'm saying this directly. I say it directly at my jobs. I say it directly at Health Possible. I'll sit a client down and say, I just want to let you know right now that you have an obligation to be a contributing member of society and to take care of yourself. Because right now, you've handed 100% of this issue to me. And I want you to acknowledge, and I swear, this is what I tell them, and I say, and I want you to acknowledge how uncomfortable it is right now that I'm telling you that I personally, as you know, speaking on behalf of the company, have financial control over your ability to get these services. Not you. Me. And tell me how that makes you feel. And of course, it makes them feel uncomfortable. No one likes not having control. You don't have to be a control freak to at least want to make your own decisions in life freely. Right? But the more we rely on government to make decisions for us, the more we give away freedom. And that's where those things align, right? On a micro scale and on a macro scale. So at Health Possible, I look clients in the eye and I say, hey, I have control over part of your life right now. Does that make you uncomfortable? Yes or no? No. I knew the or yes, I'm sorry. Yes. I knew the answer was yes, it makes you uncomfortable. That's the best answer you could give me. Do you know what that means? And they go, no, what? You have to get control of it. And guess what you're here to do? Just that. You've lost control at some point in your life, and now you're here to get it back, and I am so excited to have a hand in your uh, education and your ability to relearn how to do that. You're going to turn your whole life around here. And they get all starry-eyed, and I'm dead serious. And I mean every single word that comes out of my mouth when I have this conversation with them. And suddenly, it's just like a wake-up call, like, oh my God. God, I didn't know that I was so dependent. Like, I just thought this was my normal everyday life. I mean, everybody listening right now, you're probably in your car. Could you imagine not having that car? Being used to it? Nothing wrong with public transportation. I used it in college. But it's still frustrating. Very frustrating to not have control over your day in that huge, huge manner. Your whole life revolves around somebody else's schedule. And when you're on government assistance, your whole life revolves around somebody else's money. And a group of people who dictate what you get to do with that money, which is fair and unfair at the same time. Unfair for you as a person, but fair because you should not be able to do whatever you want when you're not in control of your own life. You have not proved that you can, can that you can take care of yourself yet. So let's let's go all the way back to government housing. My example last week was, if you're in government housing, there should be some kind of government assistance probation officer visiting your home, and you have a pass-fail evaluation of how well you take care of that home. 
And I don't mean if something's broken, you have to have the money to go fix it. I mean, of course, we want you to, tr- to be trying to get a job or to be trying to afford your own place to live. But cleanliness. I think we all have a hand cloth, hopefully water. I think in Wilmington, everybody has running water for the most part. But if you live in government housing, you have running water, okay? So, to at least scrub down things and keep it as clean as possible. Maybe cleaning supplies is something that comes with government housing. I don't know. I know nobody wants to hear that. I'll be really honest. I don't even want to hear that. However, we have to teach people how to take care of something. I think I'd personally... I mean, I'm just really thinking out loud on air right now. But I think personally, I would rather... As a taxpayer, I'd rather bite the bullet at first of providing the supplies needed to educate because in the long term, there should be a plan, obviously, to relieve those uh, tax needs or expenses that we've actually now gotten to the point of prevention. Education, prevention. Or we've raised the cost of government housing where... You know, they've had to earn more money or some kind of, you know, elevation of standard where they can suddenly provide this cleaning supplies themselves. I don't know. Again, I'm just thinking out loud on air. But I have a new example this week reflecting on last week's crazy talk. We make, and again, you know, I don't know the right answers. I'm just thinking on air of how to improve communities through government assistance. Because again, at my organization, that is something that people learn how to do in their health. And I know intuitively that you keep the spark of intrinsic motivation in the human by keeping them responsible. Like I said earlier, when we become responsible, we take on more responsibility. It's a domino effect. We're confident in doing it. We know how to. So now, we make prisoners do community service. Right? Now, unfortunately, it's only because they committed a crime. But let's look outside the box now. Right? Those are people who, you know, are being punished in prison, but they make them do community service and volunteer work. Now, as a college student, I got a scholarship. Now, it might have been a private college, but I'm quite confident public schools require community service as well. So we're making students who are not getting paychecks indirectly. Sure, yeah, you're getting an education out of it. But we are making students do community service. Great. Life-changing. 100% encourage it. Changed my life. Uh, We need to give back anyway, you know, as people and, and community members in stable environments and the ability to do so. We need to give back. We also make prisoners do it. So, zoom out. Why don't we make people on, say, welfare do community service? Right? These people, now when I say welfare, right, you're getting a direct paycheck. You're getting paid by the government for many reasons. There's people who really, really do need help. I personally believe that if somebody has the ability to sit home all day long and is, you know, at least a, um, is at least a functioning human being to the point that they can think, see, hear, you know, whatever those details are to do desk work, that people sitting at home all day 
living off government assistance often at least have the capacity to perform desk job work. So I still, I still don't want any excuses there or make excuses in that manner. I do believe if you're sitting at home all day and there are jobs available, especially remote ones, if you don't have a car, that there is work to be done in this world. There's always opportunity where you're willing to seek it. And there's ways that you can earn your own living and not live off government assistance. So in order to put responsibility back on the people who are getting this free ride, why don't they have to volunteer or do community service work for nonprofits? Or for the community itself, for the actual local government, for the town? Clean up the highways. Or clean up the parks. I could name thousands of nonprofits that need volunteers who often struggle to make numbers. But there's nothing in place to make people sitting around at home all day collecting checks do that. Now again, a lot of this is education. I don't look down on people. I meet people where they are. I'm strictly talking solutions. Let's put the motivation back in the people. Let's get the spark. Let's make people responsible and get some pride Let's make people proud of themselves, proud to live where they live. And also, one last thing on, you know, pass-fail evaluation of government housing, if you're going to live in government housing, cleanliness, how much neater and nicer would our communities be if we did, you know, from a literal visual perspective, make those people clean up and take care of their own homes, yards, etc., but now think psychologically, How many people just learned responsibility and pride from a very basic thing many of us, you know, it's really not basic for somebody that has those complications in life, but basic to someone like me, you know, I think it's basic to clean my house. I clean my house every single day. I cleaned houses for a living in college. I used to get paid to do it. So to me, it's like second nature. The psychological aspects that come with picking up after yourself Again, responsibility, you take it one step further sooner or later. Now let's talk crime. If we're keeping people busy with responsibility, whether we make them get a job or we make them earn their government assistance, what's the potential percentage of crime reduction? They're busy taking care of things. They're home. Maybe it's our families. Maybe it's the community, right? And now now let's say you've taken people from government housing and put them in, you know, literally in the middle of the day. You've taken them from, from doing nothing or sitting around all day and you've placed them in a local park very nearby, easily, easily uh, done for transportation, and you've given them time to work on the community How many people just came off the streets, you know, who are just, you know, up to no good or waiting, you know, waiting for something bad to happen or, you know, could just be at the wrong place at the wrong time? How many of those people, how much of that time can we remove from society by placing them in community service uh, groups, aspects, doing something better for the greater good? Now let's talk the benefits of networking. You just met a bunch of people 
who, whether it's run nonprofits or are also there volunteering, have their own jobs, maybe they own businesses, etc. You've just placed them all together. We could teach these people networking. Maybe you didn't know how to get a job before. Maybe you didn't have internet. Maybe you didn't have transportation. Maybe you're just raised not to know any better. The importance of getting a job or maintaining one. Through doing community service, we also teach people skills. So now we're also providing trade or education. There are so many benefits. It's not just about working. There's so many benefits to contributing that are selfish. And sometimes being selfish is great. This is where it's extremely positive. Things that can be selfish in giving, in giving, we can improve a lot of lives just by obligating some form of work at some capacity, even if it's on their own street and they don't have to drive anywhere. Again, probation officers, we already pay people to clean up those communities for them. Why not just have that person make them do it? And if you don't do it, obviously there's got to be repercussions. Maybe not doing the work is where it becomes, you know, I guess I don't want to say crime because that could be a horrible answer. I don't know the answer on that part. Moving on. Another crazy talk idea for all the bars out there. Have you guys, I heard this is a thing in California. I came up with this at work the other day with my good friend, who I'm not going to say his name, (laughs) but... Uh, we were talking about a singles bar. Now, I'm not, I didn't come up with this because I'm single, but I have a friend who is single and has a very hard time meeting people. And I will add probably meeting people his age who are also single. Now, that's okay, but it's also very hard to... Find a place to go where that is not just okay, right, to go up to people or be approachable, etc. It's hard to go to a place where it's known that somebody is single. Again, this is for all the bars out there. I mean, somebody else might want to do this too as a business owner, but why don't bars have something called singles night where... You have people come, and they could come with their friends, but their friends should also have to be single, but where you only let people in who are, you know, state that they're single or looking, you know, for somebody else. Why? Don't think it's anybody's business, you know, at what capacity. You obviously talk to people when you get there, but, but I know this person who's much older than me who has a hard time meeting people his age, and doesn't want to meet somebody, you know, traditionally at the bar because there's a stigma tied to that. And it's not wrong, but I can understand where he's coming from, right? Personally, I wouldn't want that to be me either. I just, you know, again, it's a stigma and and you want to meet somebody, you know, as naturally as possible. But what if, you know, if online dating is such a huge thing, what's wrong with in-person dating where you know everyone on the platform or in the facility is also looking. Again, singles night. Could be a huge marketing pull 
huge marketing pull for bars in Wilmington, especially, you know, in the surviving times right now. And everybody could do it. You know, it doesn't have to be one bar that's just this huge singles bar every night of the week. It could be, you know, a bunch of breweries link up or a bunch of bars link up and have their one night they decide, you know, whose night each week is singles night. And all the singles go to that bar that night. And maybe you don't have to only let singles in, but maybe you just make it really known between social media and the front door that it's singles night. I wouldn't suggest giving people like shirt tags or anything because then it just gets embarrassing if there's other people there not for singles night and then everyone's judging you that you went out, you know, to meet other people. I don't know. But to get people who are not fearful of stigmas or to get people looking to meet other people, you know, their age, but all ages welcome, um, you know, in the same situation, advertise to have them all gather together. Like I said, all these social media platforms to date online, let's do it in person. Also, you get out and you meet new people, even if you don't end up dating them. It'd be pretty fun. I'm sure. I have a lot of friends that I bet would go. So just an idea on crazy talk for all the listeners out there. If there's any business owners who uh, needs a new marketing scheme, uh, singles night, help a bunch of people I know, you know, get out there in the world, especially during the pandemic. Actually, speaking of that, have you, has anybody else noticed how many less people you've met this year because of the pandemic? I mean, I know it's obvious, but really, I mean, really sat down and thought about all of the relationships you missed out on, not even realizing it, because you wouldn't know who they were supposed to be, right? But all these people you did not meet this year because you couldn't go anywhere, and even still, why would you talk to people you have to stay six feet away from, or... Or have a mask. You're not going to approach people in masks and just, you know, spark up conversation. You have no idea what their mouth looks like. Like, that's really awkward and weird. I've said this on air before. It's so weird for me as a manager hiring during a pandemic when everybody in an interview comes in with a face mask on. And obviously they have to, but I can't even see who I'm hiring. Very odd. It's very odd. Very hard to know character without a whole face. Very hard to, well, I mean... I guess not, but to a, to a capacity, it throws us off. Just throws off our psyche. And it's awkward. It's strange. We don't know what to make of it. We're not used to it. New segment, new segment, new segment. Uh, management moment of the week. How many people out there, now as an employee, right, as an employee of somebody else, uh, uh, many moments in my life, many years in my life, and even really still to this day, of course, you know, we're always technically uh, working for our customers, if anything, right? So how many of us, and I can attest to this, you get feedback from a manager or you get feedback or even just a, a comment to try to deliver it more lightly rather than, you know, direct sit down, I have feedback for you situation. How many people out there get feedback by a manager, don't like it, no matter what it is, and then realize later on that they only don't like it because it's always frustrating to be told what what to do or how to do it or you know the array of things that come with having a boss 
how many people just hate having a boss, right? I think most people don't like having to report to somebody else. I mean, maybe that's just my bias because I'm one of those, so I see the world that way as a majority, and it might not be true. However, a lot of people I talk to will commonly tell me, you know, that they would rather not have a boss. They'd rather work for themselves, and I feel like we're in an entrepreneur ship or entrepreneur flagship era where, uh, or I'm sorry, this era is the flagship of entrepreneurship. That's the right way to say that and deliver that is that right now everyone wants to work for themselves. People are trying so hard to run their own businesses, even small little, you know, internet startups, little social media startups here and there, side gigs, you know, they've still got their nine to five. We all don't want a boss. <laughs> Human nature. Kids don't want to listen to their parents, right? It's almost like we never grow out of that. And I, I am not positive, you know, any kind of scientific reasoning behind that, but it's still important. Now, I can attest to it as being somebody else's employee, but now speaking as a manager, I can attest to having employees who don't listen to me just because I'm their manager and not because it's anything really negative about them or about I or this or that or the other. And it's frustrating, but you have to remember at the end of the day, people are human, right? For all the managers out there listening, your staff is always going to get frustrated with you at some point because they're just tired of being told something, right? So now there's an aspect of this for the employees out there coming from a manager we know people are going to get frustrated with us, but what are we trying to do as good, positive leaders? We're trying to coach people. And having, had, and playing on a team in college, it's important, obviously, to be coachable. And that's something I learned playing on sports teams my whole life and in college. But even more so as an employee... And now even more so as a manager speaking to other, to my own employees, it is vital that you be coachable because if you're not coachable, you might be defensive or disrespectful or completely not responsive. And then that's just, you know, a performance aspect. Being coachable is one of the most important top three ways to stay on a team, right? So being coachable will get you on a team, but staying coachable will keep you on that team. Whether we are talking about sports, work, you know, whatever it might be, even in your relationship, you have to be coachable in your own relationships. Socially and romantically, you have to be able to take feedback from the other person in order to compromise, and of course, in giving that feedback or in getting feedback, there can be, you know, mutual understanding of where things fall through, where we can improve. There's always room for improvement. And that should be a dialogue. It should be a strong dialogue and a strong conversation. And actually, I'm pretty proud of myself because I tweeted, being coachable will get you on the team and staying coachable will keep you there. And my old volleyball coach from, actually, he was my volleyball coach in middle school, but he is a champion high school volleyball coach at my alma mater, Windsor High School in upstate New York. He just retweeted that comment and said, Windsor Volleyball, good advice from an alumni. 
I will take it, Scott Simmons. Thank you very much. I know you're up there in New York. You probably are not listening to The Big Talker, but maybe you'll find me on Spotify. So, yeah, guys, being coachable is everything to your success. Because if you're not willing to be coached anymore or take feedback anymore, then you're not looking to thrive. You're not looking to improve. And I can promise you not being coachable will not elevate your career or your social life or any aspect of your character that you're trying to grow or, you know, can acknowledge that you need to grow. Who's giving you feedback does matter. That is important. You should not take advice from someone who you wouldn't want to trade places with, right? Now, now of course, that can be a double-edged sword. You know, I might be somebody's manager, but that doesn't necessarily mean they want to trade places with me, you know, in life managing that place or, you know, what I'm doing career-wise otherwise. But if you want to grow into even a parallel type position of the person or situation that the person who is talking to you, uh, that that person, who that person is that's talking to you, you have to be able to receive feedback at some capacity. Now, even if you don't want anything to do with someone's situation when it comes to advice, it is crucial to your employment that you have optimal performance under their leadership, right? And doing your best, yes, if you do your best and you can confidently say you did your best, nothing else matters. You know, a bad job, you will separate from a bad job that does not appreciate you doing your best. Now, if you're getting feedback and there's room for improvement there and you're being completely resistant to that or you're not willing to mold, to adapt to the environment you're in to keep a job if you like that job, Of course, you're not going to get to stay there, right? The way managers run things are the way they're supposed to be run. So being coachable gets you on the team. Staying coachable will keep you there. Now, I personally have caught myself being defensive before. Not disrespectful. No excuse for disrespect. But to be defensive, that's you're, you're protecting something in yourself, in your mind that you don't mean to out loud or that you don't realize you're doing it uh, or you just haven't taken the moment to open your mind prior to receiving that feedback. Maybe it's something you know that you do. Being defensive keeps people out, right? It keeps them away. And when someone doesn't give up on you, that says a lot about you. So if you're defensive to the point that someone's given up on trying to help you, you're headed down the wrong path. And it's a dark path. If someone does not give up on you, that says a lot. Now, if a coach or a manager does give up on you, that is the day you're done. You're signing your death certificate there with that person. If they never stop riding you or bothering you, or commenting, or pulling you aside. They still believe in you. That's the point. Another aspect of being coachable, guys, or receiving feedback, make sure your own biases are not in the way, or your own, I hate to use the word prejudices, but 
let's let's use age as an example because I experienced this. I've experienced this a lot because I'm 27. And there's been times I've walked into ro- into rooms and onto committees and onto teams and wherever else. And whether I was in charge or not, I was the youngest person in there by 40 years sometimes. And I am in charge of people at other places. And I've still got people who work for me who are much older than me. Much, much older than me. I'm talking, you know, anywhere from 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Those are the ages that I currently supervise in many different, many different arenas of my life. If you cannot take feedback from somebody younger than you, that's also an issue because it's not, it's not, I can speak to this personally. When I give somebody feedback who's older than me, it has nothing to do with being, you know, better than you at your job or wiser than you or et cetera. It has to do with, I've had different experiences than that person, regardless of age. Yes, somebody younger than you or older than you, however it is, might have more experience in one area than you do, or might just be able to provide you with different strategies or methods to be more efficient. What does age have to do with accepting feedback? Now let's use positions, for example. Let's say somebody works for me and I'm the manager, but they have feedback for me as a manager. Should I accept that feedback? Of course I should, because if I didn't, how am I going to be a better manager? It's not always about the people above you. If anything... You need the people that are assisting you or working for you even more at times. Both matter. That is a slippery slope. You have to be willing to accept feedback from people because everyone has a different life experience than you. It doesn't make yours wrong, but they just might have a more efficient or a more effective way. Or it simply falls the rules and the methods that that facility uses, that business model uses, it might just be policy. Accepting feedback isn't an insult. Accepting feedback should not offend you. And if you are defensive or disrespectful to feedback, there's only one person in that situation who's not willing to grow. (laughs) And it's the person not taking any feedback. Resistance, resistance to change does not get you change. All right, everybody, new segment, crazy talk. So I talked last week about government assistance and ways that we could improve the community using government assistance. Now, if you did not hear the show last week, I talked about how Health Possible has increased the household economic value excuse me, value of our clientele uh, over 36% cumulatively last year in 2019. We have also uh, correlated with the elimination of food stamps for our clients, the 
elimination of government housing for our clients. And again, I say correlate because I can't say that was directly, you know, something that we were focused on or did. Uh, however, we help people to better take care of themselves and to better provide for themselves. So again, Health Possible's financial aid for alternative medicine, uh, fitness, nutrition, and mental health care. We financially aid those things. And our goal is that the people in the programs can successfully provide for themselves completely independently by the time it's over. Now, why is that uh, a correlation and a goal of ours? Because when you learn how to take care of yourself physically and mentally, you can apply all those newfound lessons and confidence and all the things that you've learned about yourself, you know, character-wise, your limits. It's a lot about limits. You can apply those things to your everyday life with family, jobs, income, so many other aspects. When we take care of ourselves, we also want to do better in life. We're proud. We want to stay proud, right? We, we have learned how to take responsibility for things, so we take on more responsibility for things. It's just a domino effect. Now, that being said, last week, again, Crazy Talk talked about government assistance and how to, uh, how to improve communities utilizing this. So, my example last week was if people are in government housing, why isn't there some kind of pass-fail evaluation of how well they take care of their homes, right? So the whole goal of, and the whole point of this conversation was that it's not easy, or at least it should not be easy to live off of any system, off of any government, off of any organization, whatever that might be. And I, I do say this, I'm not just saying this on air, you know, indirectly to my listeners. I'm saying this directly. I say it directly at my jobs. I say it directly at Health Possible. I'll sit a client down and say, I just want to let you know right now that you have an obligation to be a contributing member of society and to take care of yourself. Because right now, you've handed 100% of this issue to me. And I want you to acknowledge, and I swear, this is what I tell them, and I say, and I want you to acknowledge how uncomfortable it is right now that I'm telling you that I personally, as, you know, speaking on behalf of the company, have financial control over your ability to get these services. Not you. Me. And tell me how that makes you feel. And of course, it makes them feel uncomfortable. No one likes not having control. You don't have to be a control freak to at least want to make your own decisions in life freely. Right? But the more we rely on government to make decisions for us, the more we give away freedom. And that's where those things align, right? On a micro scale and on a macro scale. So at Health Possible, I look clients in the eye and I say, hey, I have control over part of your life right now. Does that make you uncomfortable? Yes or no? No. I knew the answer. Yes. I'm sorry. Yes. I knew the answer was yes. It makes you uncomfortable. That's the best answer you could give me. Do you know what that means? And they go, no. What? You have to get control of it. And guess what you're here to do? Just that. You've lost control at some point in your life, and now you're here to get it back, and I am so excited 
to have a hand in your uh, education and your ability to relearn how to do that. You're going to turn your whole life around here. And they get all starry-eyed and I'm dead serious. And I mean every single word that comes out of my mouth when I have this conversation with them. And suddenly, it's just like a wake-up call. Like, oh my God, I didn't know that I was so dependent. Like, I just thought this was my normal everyday life. I mean, everybody listening right now, you're probably in your car. Could you imagine not having that car? Being used to it? Nothing wrong with public transportation. I used it in college. But it's still frustrating. Very frustrating to not have control over your day in that huge, huge manner. Your whole life revolves around somebody else's schedule. And when you're on government assistance, your whole life revolves around somebody else's money. And a group of people who dictate what you get to do with that money, which is fair and unfair at the same time. Unfair for you as a person, but fair because you should not be able to do whatever you want when you're not in control of your own life. You have not proved that you can, con- that you can take care of yourself yet. So let's, let's go all the way back to government housing. My example last week was if you're in government housing, there should be some kind of government assistance probation officer visiting your home and you have a pass-fail evaluation of how well you take care of that home. And I don't mean if something's broken, you have to have the money to go fix it. I mean, of course we want you to, tr- to be trying to get a job or to be trying to afford your own place to live, but cleanliness. I think we all have a hand cloth, hopefully water. I think in Wilmington, everybody has running water for the most part. But if you live in government housing, you have running water, okay? So to at least scrub down things and keep it as clean as possible. Maybe cleaning supplies is something that comes with government housing. I don't know. I know nobody wants to hear that. I'll be really honest. I don't even want to hear that. However, we have to teach people how to take care of something. I think I'd personally, I mean, I'm just really thinking out loud on air right now, but I think personally I would rather, as a taxpayer, I'd rather bite the bullet at first of providing the supplies needed to educate because in the long term there should be a plan obviously to relieve those uh, tax needs or expenses that we've actually now gotten to the point of prevention. Education, prevention. Or we've raised the cost of government housing where you know they've had to earn more money or some kind of you know, elevation of standard where they can suddenly provide this cleaning supplies themselves. I don't know. Again, I'm just thinking out loud on air. But I have a new example this week reflecting on last week's crazy talk. We make, and again, you know, I don't know the right answers. I'm just thinking on air of how to improve communities through government assistance. Because again, at my organization, that is something that people learn how to do in their health. And I know intuitively that you keep the spark of intrinsic motivation in the human by keeping them responsible like I said earlier when we become responsible we take on more responsibility it's a domino effect we're confident in doing it we know how to so now 
we make prisoners do community service. Right now, unfortunately, it's only because they committed a crime. But let's look outside the box now. Right. Those are people who, you know, are being punished in prison, but they make them do community service and volunteer work. Now, as a college student, I got a scholarship. Now, it might have been a private college, but I'm quite confident public schools require community service as well. So we're making students who are not getting paychecks indirectly. Sure, yeah, you're getting an education out of it. But we are making students do community service. Great. Life-changing. 100% encourage it. Changed my life. Uh, we need to give back anyway, you know, as people and, and community members in stable environments and the ability to do so. We need to give back. We also make prisoners do it. So, zoom out. Why don't we make people on, say, welfare do community service? Right? These people, now when I say welfare, right, you're getting a direct paycheck. You're getting paid by the government for many reasons. There's people who really, really do need help. I personally believe that if somebody has the ability to sit home all day long and is, you know, at least a, um, is at least a functioning human being to the point that they can think, see, hear, you know, whatever those details are to do desk work that people sitting at home all day, living off government assistance, often at least have the capacity to perform desk job work. So I still, I still don't want any excuses there or make excuses in that manner. I do believe if you're sitting at home all day and there are jobs available, especially remote ones, if you don't have a car, that there is work to be done in this world. There's always opportunity where you're willing to seek it and there's ways that you can earn your own living and not live off government assistance. So in order to put responsibility back on the people who are getting this free ride, why don't they have to volunteer or do community service work for nonprofits or for the community itself, for the actual local government, for the town? Clean up the highways or clean up the parks. I could name thousands of nonprofits that need volunteers who often struggle to make numbers. But there's nothing in place to make people sitting around at home all day collecting checks do that. Now again, a lot of this is education. I don't look down on people. I meet people where they are. I'm strictly talking solutions. Let's put the motivation back in the people. Let's get the spark. Let's make people responsible and get some pride Let's make people proud of themselves, proud to live where they live. And also, one last thing on, you know, pass-fail evaluation of government housing, if you're going to live in government housing, cleanliness, how much neater and nicer would our communities be if we did, you know, from a literal visual perspective, make those people clean up and take care of their own homes, yards, etc. But now think psychologically. How many people just learned responsibility and pride from a very basic thing many of us, you know, it's really not basic for somebody that has those complications in life, but basic to someone like me, you know, I think it's basic to clean my house. I clean my house every single day. I cleaned houses for a living in college. I used to get paid to do it. So to me, it's like second nature. 
the psychological aspects that come with picking up after yourself, again, responsibility, you take it one step further sooner or later. Now let's talk crime. If we're keeping people busy with responsibility, whether we make them get a job or we make them earn their government assistance, what's the potential percentage of crime reduction? They're busy taking care of things. Their home, maybe it's their families, maybe it's the community, right? And now, now let's say you've taken people from government housing and put them in, you know, literally in the middle of the day. You've taken them from, from doing nothing or sitting around all day and you've placed them in a local park very nearby, easily, easily uh, done for transportation, and you've given them time to work on the community. How many people just came off the streets? You know, who are just, you know, up to no good or waiting, you know, waiting for something bad to happen or, you know, could just be at the wrong place at the wrong time. How many of those people, how much of that time can we remove from society by placing them in community service uh, groups, aspects, doing something better for the greater good? Now, let's talk the benefits of networking. You just met a bunch of people who, whether it's run nonprofits or also they're volunteering, have their own jobs, maybe they own businesses, etc. You've just placed them all together. We could teach these people networking. Maybe you didn't know how to get a job before. Maybe you didn't have internet. Maybe you didn't have transportation. Maybe you're just raised not to know any better. The importance of getting a job or maintaining one. Through doing community service, we also teach people skills. So now we're also providing trade or education. There are so many benefits it's not just about working. There's so many benefits to contributing that are selfish. And sometimes being selfish is great. This is where it's extremely positive. Things that can be selfish in giving, in giving, We can improve a lot of lives just by obligating some form of work at some capacity, even if it's on their own street and they don't have to drive anywhere. Again, probation officers, we already pay people to clean up those communities for them. Why not just have that person make them do it? And if you don't do it, obviously there's got to be repercussions. Maybe not doing the work is where it becomes, you know, I guess I don't want to say crime because that could be a horrible answer. I don't know the answer on that part. Moving on. Another crazy talk idea for all the bars out there. Have you guys... I heard this is a thing in California. I came up with this at work the other day with my good friend, who I'm not going to say his name, <laughs> but uh, we were talking about a singles bar. Now, I'm not, I didn't come up with this because I'm single, but I have a friend who is single and has a very hard time meeting people. And I will add, probably meeting people his age who are also single. 
Now, that's okay. But it's also very hard to find a place to go where that is not just okay, right, to go up to people or be approachable, etc. It's hard to go to a place where it's known that somebody is single. Again, this is for all the bars out there. I mean, somebody else might want to do this too as a business owner, but why don't bars have something called singles night where you have people come, and they could come with their friends, but their friends should also have to be single, but where you only let people in who are, you know, state that they're single or looking, you know, for somebody else. Why? Don't think it's anybody's business, you know, at what capacity. You obviously talk to people when you get there, but... But I know this person who's much older than me who has a hard time meeting people his age and doesn't want to meet somebody, you know, traditionally at the bar because there's a stigma tied to that. And it's not wrong, but I can understand where he's coming from. Right? I, personally, I wouldn't want that to be me either. I just, you know, again, it's a stigma and, and you want to meet somebody, you know, as naturally as possible. But what if, you know, if online dating is such a huge thing, What's wrong with in-person dating where you know everyone on the platform or in the facility is also looking? Again, singles night. Could be a huge marketing pull. Huge marketing pull for bars in Wilmington, especially, you know, in the surviving times right now. And everybody could do it. You know, it doesn't have to be one bar that's just this huge singles bar every night of the week. It could be, you know, a bunch of breweries link up or a bunch of bars link up and have their one night they decide you know whose night each week is singles night and all the singles go to that bar that night and maybe you don't have to only let singles in but maybe you just make it really known between social media and the front door that it's singles night I wouldn't suggest giving people like shirt tags or anything because then it just gets embarrassing if there's other people there not for singles night and then everyone's judging you that you went out, you know, to meet other people. I don't know. But to get people who are not fearful of stigmas or to get people looking to meet other people, you know, their age, but all ages welcome, um, you know, in the same situation, advertise to have them all gather together. Like I said, all these social media platforms to date online. Let's do it in person. Also, you get out and you meet new people, even if you don't end up dating them. It'd be pretty fun. I'm sure. I have a lot of friends that I bet would go. So just an idea on crazy talk for all the listeners out there. If there's any business owners who uh, needs a new marketing scheme, uh, singles night, help a bunch of people I know, you know, get out there in the world, especially during the pandemic. Actually, speaking of that, have you, has anybody else noticed how many less people you've met this year because of the pandemic? I mean, I know it's obvious, but really, I mean, really sat down and thought about all of the relationships you missed out on, not even realizing it because you wouldn't know who they were supposed to be, right? But all these people you did not meet this year because you couldn't go anywhere and even still, why would you talk to people you have to stay six feet away from or, or have a mask? You're not going to approach people in masks and just, you know, spark up conversation. You have no idea what their mouth looks like. Like, that's really awkward and weird. 
I've said this on air before. It's so weird for me as a manager hiring during a pandemic when everybody in an interview comes in with a face mask on. And obviously they have to, but I can't even see who I'm hiring. Very odd. It's very odd. Very hard to know character without a whole face. Very hard to, well, I mean, I guess not, but to a a capacity. It throws us off. Just throws off our psyche. And it's awkward. It's strange. We don't know what to make of it. We're not used to it. Okay, I've been really excited about Crazy Talk all week. One more Crazy Talk segment. Sorry. I know I had three Crazy Talks already today, or this is my third one, but these things are all really cool to me. What if we had a health force, right? Now, I don't mean the hospital. I don't mean the Peace Corps. I don't mean American Red Cross. I don't mean nonprofits. I don't mean, you know, medical, whatever you're thinking of right now, because I'm pretty confident that what I'm thinking of when I say health force does not exist. But what if we had social, like a social soldier, like a social medical soldier who was also an undercover person who had the risky situation and job mission to live in communities with extremely poor lifestyle conditions undercover and become the integrated community member who is also the leadership force of ripple affecting lifestyle change within that community. Thinking about that coming out of my mouth right now, really, I recognize it probably sounded insane. (laughs) Okay. Crazy or genius? Probably crazy. Again, this is crazy talk. My crazy talk knows no logistics, but guys, health force, an undercover health social mission driven soldier trained and trained to protect others and protect themselves in a dangerous type of community as well. I mean, really, really poor conditioned communities. Where the education lacks, maybe the economy lacks, the jobs lack, whatever it is that's making the economy so so bad. Of course, a lot of government or healthcare uh, providers come into play there on a grander scale, like medical centers or a hospital available or schools or uh, you know, good water supply. You know, the, it goes on and on. But I'm talking lifestyle. So in communities of very poor lifestyles where people are maybe severely inactive, diabetes is rampant, cardiac diseases through the roof, strokes, obesity, all this stuff, out of control. What if, I mean, it could even be a crime thing, right? We, we, do, we do have a, quite a hot topic going on in the world right now that so much crime can be mental health issues and, and you know, people protest, defund the police and... I would never tell you I'm for that. I'm also not going to tell you I'm not for getting mental health professionals involved in very difficult social crime scenes. Or, you know, domestic violence. Or, you know, there's lots of things that do require mental health help. I do not think we should defund the police I also don't think you know it's fair to say these guys should have to do all this alone just because it's the way we've known 
doesn't mean it will always be correct or always has been correct anyway. Anyway, back to the topic of a health force in communities living within the community intertwined, integrated, ripple effects socially. Their mission is to, you know, maybe they're provided a home as part of the mission and it's their job to establish social circles with these people, conversations, tons of training involved here, tons of very carefully planned out details and logistics. I mean, I hear all the time about how uh, adults get planted into high schools to intertwine with the kids. So I know the psychological factor works for maybe crime finding and so forth, but why don't we do that with health or social issues? Why are we just doing it to catch people? Why aren't we also doing it to better people? If integrating people in communities and establishing large, you know, or any kind of social circle works and affects a group of people or makes them make certain decisions or makes them do certain things or, you know, change their ways, convince them, to do a bad thing, why can't it all be about doing a better thing? I think it can be. It's my crazy talk for Health Force on this fantastic Friday. Thanks, everyone, for listening to 106.7 FM, The Big Talker. I am your host, Sarah Ald, and we will be back next Friday.